0: one of the things I was thinking about this last week is how that the devil doesn't give you a break. You know, the devil never shows up and thinks, well, you know, you, you've had a really hard couple of weeks and so I'm gonna kind of lay off for a while uh, because you've had a really hard time and I can tell you're really trying hard, and and so the devil never does that. The devil just keeps pounding your head in day after day after day, and he never gives you a break. And what it made me think is, is that we don't have time to not to pray, right? You know, one of the things we can do, especially like with dad, his surgery, you know, you find out, you know, his heart was kind of fluttering, and so he went in, and through series of events, they found out like, hey, your valve is bad. And that wasn't even causing the flutters. Uh, And so they found that, and then it's like, okay, man, we're praying, we're praying, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm going to have to have surgery we're praying, we're praying over surgery, that everything goes good, you know, the doctors have wisdom, he gets into surgery, everything goes good, then, you know, we're praying that he gets out of ICU, and then he gets to a room, and then that happens, and man, then we're praying that he gets home, and then he gets home, and he's kind of doing good, and then we kind of quit praying, right, we just pray less, and less, and less, and I'm not Trying to pick on anybody. Uh, I want you to think about your own life and your own situations and how that we can kind of stop praying. And how that we don't have the time to not pray. That we have to be praying every day over every situation, over everybody in our life, because the devil is trying to attack you constantly. And to never give up, never get tired, and and to continually to pray. And I, I love what Jesus told them in the New Testament. He said, Don't pray long prayers. You know, God already knows what you're gonna pray about. Keep it short and simple. I mean, and so it's not about this big, complicated prayer that you have to pray. It's just about, God, you know, hey, I need you today, and I resist the devil in the name of Jesus, right? And it's that simple. It's, you know, God, I pray that you're with my kids today, and I, I resist the devil off of them. And just that we're always praying, and that we don't give up, and that we don't stop praying uh, because the, the devil's not going to lay off or give you a break, or you can't call time out, Right? Uh, we've been talking about promises to live by. Uh, if you were not here last week, last Sunday, I want to encourage you to get on our podcast and to listen to the sermon uh, "Promises to Live By," which would be part one. This is part two. Uh, you're, you're not gonna. It's not like you're not gonna know what we're talking about today. Uh, You still will know, but I want to really encourage you uh, to get on there and listen to that. So before we jump in, I just want to pray, and so if y'all would just join me really quickly. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and I pray that as I speak, Father God, that you would speak through me, that it's not my words but yours, Father, that you would guide and direct me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to do some quick review, and then we're going to jump into some promises out of the New Testament that I want to show you uh, that you need to begin to confess and speak. One of the things that we talked about last week is the power of your words, the power of what you're saying, and how that in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible... God spoke to create the heavens and the earth, and how that God could have done that any way that He wanted to. He could have used any kind of, you know, He could have used a hammer. He could have done anything He wanted to do to create the earth. But God chose to speak to create the earth. And then at the very end of that chapter, He goes into, "I want to make human beings, and I want to make them in our image and in in, in our likeness." Okay, and so He's kind of setting up this example, setting up this lesson to show us that He's saying, "Hey, you're created like." us and we just used our words to create the earth and your words have power too and your words have the power to create life or to create death right and then it matters what you say what you're speaking right now determines the course of your life right what you're speaking now is determining the course of your life whether it's it's negative things Right. Or or it's positive things. One of the things we do in Ground Zero is around Christmas time, we'll do like a Christmas party. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll go out and buy a bunch of stuff like headphones and and little knickknacks and things like that from Walmart, you know, and we'll spend a couple hundred bucks and buy a bunch of stuff. And then across the street, the kids will sign up their name and drop it into a bowl to be drawn over here to win a prize. And a lot of the kids will go around, oh, John, go sign up, go sign up, go sign up to win something. And kids will tell me, I don't ever win anything, and I'm not even going to sign up, because I don't ever win anything. And I know that's kind of like a dumb thing, right? That doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of life, but that attitude of what they're speaking can be negative, right? I've done that. You're like, you go to the fair or something, and they're giving something away, and, oh, buy a ticket for $5, and it's like, I'm not even going to waste my time, because I know I'm not going to win, right? And I understand that that kind of seems small, but a lot of times in our lives, then that leads to us saying other things, other negative things about ourselves. And instead of confessing that I'm covered in the favor of God, I'm covered in the grace of God, right? You know, all of those promises out of Deuteronomy 28, that I'm the head, not the tail, I'm above and never beneath, that we're not confessing that and speaking that. We're speaking other things and negativity and how we have to be so careful about what we're saying. I want to show you a couple of things about God's character in Joshua 23, 14. And I want you to notice the highlighted. Uh, It says, not one of all of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Okay, now this is Joshua speaking. Joshua helped Moses uh, when Moses delivered uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. Joshua was a young man. Now right here in Joshua 23, uh, 14, he's old. At the beginning, he's pretty much saying, I'm about to die. That's what he's telling everybody. He's old, I'm about to die. And he's kind of giving his last sermon, his last message, his last decree to the people. And he's telling them not one of all of the good promises God gave us has failed. Every promise God told us he was going to do, he's done. Right? And he says that uh, not one has failed. Everything God said he was going to do, he did. And I want to encourage you that that still stands today. Everything that God has told you he's going to do, everything in his word that he said he's going to do, he is going to do it. Right? Because even Joshua uh, was telling the Israelites that none of them have failed. Uh, Numbers twenty-three nineteen says that God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Okay, a lot of times, uh, especially in, in church, one of the things that we can hear is that certain things in the Bible were for back then, right? One of the biggest things is the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of controversy over the Holy Spirit and, and over the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people will say, well, that was for back then. That was for them because they needed that. And, and the Bible doesn't work like that. God was smart enough to know that when he wrote the Bible uh, and he told Paul what to write to the church in Romans or the, to the church in Corinth or to the church in Ephesus. He said, God knew they're going to need it right now. But I know thousands of years later, there's going to be a church in Tulia and they're going to need what I have to say even now. God was a great enough author that he could write it to where it never goes out of date. The Bible never goes out of style, right? That whatever he said back then still applies today. God has not changed his mind about what he said. Right? He, he didn't write it and then think, well, you know, the world's kind of different now, and so I don't want y'all to have that or y'all don't need that. Every promise that has been given in the Bible applies to you today just as it did back then. Proverbs 18.21 says, uh, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if you've been in church very long, you've probably heard that, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you have two options. You're either speaking death or you're speaking life. Right, one of the biggest problems we have in our culture today is we complain, right? And, and, and generally what we do is we think the world kind of revolves around us, right? Our culture is self-centered, right? Just get in traffic and you find out that real quick. Right, they think I should be in front. I should be in the lead. Uh, I shouldn't be behind you. I should be in the front of the pack. Right, you know, getting getting a drive through at Chick Fil A, and the devil shows up. Right, because somebody needs some stinking chicken nuggets right? And, and because of our culture, we think that we, everything's about us. And so we complain about our lives. And what we end up doing is we begin to speak death over our situations. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. We're not even aware that we're doing it. And the devil has almost blinded us to it and has us talking about these situations. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That whatever's in your heart comes out of your mouth, and, and the easiest way to find out what's in your heart is generally in, in kind of like a scary situation. Uh, you know, I, it was Friday evening. We were Megan and I were up in Amarillo when that big rainstorm hit Friday. Uh, we were going to an event with a friend, and we were trying to get over to her sister's house off of Georgia to drop Annie off uh, so that she could babysit. Well, We kind of pull in right past Hollywood Theater, and as we do that, we drive straight into that rainstorm. It's raining really hard. And we get off on Georgia, and when we do, you know, everything's underwater. I mean, you really can't even see Georgia because it's underwater. Small cars are stalled out, you know, just parked in the road, uh, and you really can't even see anything. And in those situations where you get scared, right, you're kind of nervous and you're worried, very quickly you find out what's in your heart right, because you might get mad, you might start cussing, you might start fighting, right, you start arguing, and you're, you're kind of scared in this situation of what's going to happen, man, traffic is crazy, it's backed up, we can't get over to this street, I can't even see the curb, and so you start kind of flipping out, and then because of what's in your heart, it comes out of your mouth, right, my family in Amarillo, that's my dad's family, his cousins, they uh, build doom buggies, and this is kind of back Before the Razor came out, they built dune buggies like with a Volkswagen engine in it. And they, you know, metal frame, giant go-karts is what they were. And they would build them themselves, and we'd take them out to the Canadian River at Thanksgiving and go ride. And so one Thanksgiving, we're out there, and we're riding. And uh, my dad's uncle is in front, and he's kind of going down this hill. And the front tire kind of turns, and it rolls end over end down this hill. And, uh, you know, my dad's uh, uncle and then his brother, they were in there, and it's rolling down. This hill, you know, everybody's jumping out of the. We're all kind of at the top of the hill. They're going down. Everybody's jumping out and trying to run down, trying to see what's going on, what's happening. Is everybody okay? And Dad immediately jumps out of the car, out of the dune buggy, and he starts praying, right? And he starts praying as soon as he jumps out and these doom buggies I never liked them as a kid I was always scared to death to get in one I don't know why but uh, nothing increased my prayer life like riding in one of those because I mean it's like I want to live past this day Uh, and dad was never dangerous or anything Uh, we were never in a situation like that but very quickly like everybody else jumps out and is screaming and panicking and cussing and running and and dad jumps out and he just starts you know praying. And nothing like religious, nothing like, oh, you know, he just jumped out and just started pretty much just quoting the name of Jesus, you know. And it was, we found out very quickly that that's what was in his heart. And as you feed on the word of God, as you read your Bible, that's what's in your heart. And then in bad situations, that's what comes out. And so you find out really quickly when you kind of get in a rough situation, what's in your heart. And you're either speaking death or you're speaking life. Romans four seventeen talks about how, uh, talks about Abraham, and it, he's saying, Paul wrote this, and he said, God gives uh, life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Okay, and we, we know the story of, of Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah were old, didn't have any kids, God said, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, shows him the stars, and said, that's how many kids I'm going to give you. Right, what he was saying is because of his son Isaac that the Jewish nation would be born out of that, and then because of Jesus Christ being born into that, that all of us are the children of Abraham. Right, if you grew up in church and Sunday school, you know the song, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them right? And that's what he's saying. And Paul is saying that God called into being things that were not. And instead of complaining in our lives, instead of griping about things in our lives, we have to begin to call into existence things that are not. I talked last week about how that if you want your husband to take out the trash, or maybe one of your kids to take out the trash, and they never will, and you want them to just do it on their own without being told. Every time you take the trash out, you say, my husband takes the trash out every day. Every day when he gets home from work he takes the trash out as you're taking the trash out because you're doing exactly what God did you're calling into being things that are not you're confessing them you're speaking them you're calling them into existence right and so we have to begin to do that and one of the greatest things we can begin to confess is the word of God is the promises that God has given us, the things that he's already told us. And the promises of God cover every situation in your life, whether it's healing, family, marriage, uh, children, whatever's going on in your life, there is a promise that God has given us. And you begin to confess that and you begin to speak that. One of the greatest promises in the word of God is John three sixteen, that because of Jesus, I have eternal life. Because of Jesus, my hope is in heaven, right? That's where my hope lies is in heaven, right? You know, that's where I'm going to store up my treasure is in heaven and not here on the earth because that's my hope because of uh, the promise of John three sixteen, And what's so amazing is, is Romans ten nine 9 uh, talks about how that, you know, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Right and the only way to salvation the only way to get the promise of heaven is through what you say is through the power of your words. And so God over and over shows us how powerful our words are. All right? So that is the greatest confession you can make is the confession of salvation, the confession that you need Jesus. The Bible says call upon the Lord and you shall be saved. And that is the greatest confession there is. The second greatest confession that you can be confessing right now. What I'm about to read you out of 2 Corinthians 5.21 is uh, if if you've got paper or something, I want you to write that down. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I want you to take notes. I was listening to uh, Stephen Furtick, and he's a pastor in Charleston. uh, And y'all may not know who he is, and and it doesn't matter. But he was preaching, and he's right in the middle of preaching. And he looked up and said, are y'all just going to stare at me, or are you going to take some notes? Big, you know, it's a big church. It's way bigger than our church. And I thought, man, he's, he's kind of angry. So uh, somebody get some paper out and write that down. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, this is the New Living Translation. And it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. that last part I want you to understand is so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That Jesus never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, the New King James words it a little different. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The greatest thing that you can begin to confess on a daily basis is I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, You are right with God this morning because of Jesus and nothing else. You are the righteousness of God because of Jesus. You go to heaven because of who you know, not because of the way you live. Okay? Now now there's tons of, of Christians who do not believe that. The Bible says that God will accept no sacrifice. That there is no sacrifice that God will accept but the blood of Jesus. That's it. That anything you try to do in your life to get right with God, he won't accept it. Okay, uh, do you know that the Old Testament serves one purpose and one purpose only? And that is to point to Jesus. Do you know why God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? He wanted to prove to them that they couldn't do it on their own. He said, here's these ten rules and y'all keep them. And God knew, you can't. It's impossible. You can't do it on your own. You have to have Jesus. And you get to heaven because of who you know, not because of the way you live. And see, lots of preachers say, we well, can't tell people that because then they'll just go sin. You're going to sin anyway, right? I'm not going to stop you. I can't talk you out of it, right, or somehow convince you that, oh, you need to quit doing this in your life. We're going to sin anyway, right? I mean, I'm talking about me too. And so I want you to understand that you're righteous, you're right in the sight of God because of Jesus. Okay, a couple of things happen when you confess this. When you get up and you, you know, if you wrote it on your mirror or put it on a card and taped it to your mirror or put it somewhere you're going to see it, maybe the background on your phone or put it in your vehicle. So when you get in there, you see this card and you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Number one, you're telling yourself who you are, right? You're telling your flesh who you are. Right, a lot of times we think, well, the devil made me do that. No, that's just your flesh, right? That's this thing stuck on us that's kind of bound to this world. And, and that flesh is trying to control me, right? You know, when you try to go on a, a diet, you know, you think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit eating ice cream. And then like 30 minutes later, you ate like a whole half gallon of Blue Bell. And you're like, how did this happen? Right, and that's just your flesh, right? But as you confess this, you begin to tell yourself who you are. Number two, you tell the devil who you are. You tell the devil that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he does not want you to know that. He wants you to think that you have to do something to become righteous, that maybe if you would live better, if you would pray more, if you'd read your Bible more, if you were in church more often, if you were just a better person, if you wouldn't have done that thing that's coming to your mind right now 10 years ago, right? If you wouldn't have done that or did this or been that, then maybe God would be happy with you. But the only reason that God's happy with you this morning is because of the blood of Jesus and no other reason. Okay, and so not only do you tell yourself that, but you tell the devil. I heard a pastor in Singapore, uh, he was counseling a guy, and this guy was struggling with smoking marijuana, and he wanted to quit, right? This guy wanted to quit. And so uh, this pastor in Singapore said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to begin to confess that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I want you to speak that. Okay, now this is this pastor, okay, so, so don't, don't judge me for this, Okay. This is what he said, and I totally agree with it. He said that as you sit down and get your supplies out, right, we're going to try to clean it up for the kiddos, As you get your supplies out to smoke this, that you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, as you roll it up and light it, you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He says, as you take a smoke and you spit it out, that you say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And this pastor told him, I guarantee you, you do that every time and you'll quit. He said, because you're telling yourself who you are, and you're telling the devil who you are. You're telling your sin who you are, and you're beginning to confess that. And he said, in the midst of whatever sin you're caught up in, you begin to confess this, and it'll break it off of you, right? And, and that's like, you know, most pastors are like, you need to get right with God. If you love the Lord, you wouldn't want to do that. Right, I mean, this guy's like, just confess who you are to your sin, and it'll be broken off of you. And so that is one of the greatest confessions that you can begin to make right now, is that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, the other thing it does is it makes God you know, proud, makes him happy. It makes him excited for you to know and understand that and to begin to confess that. You know, Annie's a year and a half, and I tell her every day that she's beautiful and she's smart and she's talented, and I tell her all these things. And if she grows up and gets into elementary school and comes home and says, I'm ugly and stupid, right, that would anger me because it's like, no, you're not, because that's not who you are. That's not what I've spoken over you, right? And if someone told her that, we'll just, like, go beat them up. I'll call everybody and we'll go get them, Uh, But, but, you know, it would make you upset for your kids to say that. And so when you speak negativity over yourself of I'm stupid, I'm never going to measure up, that it makes God unhappy because he thinks, no, that's not who I created you to be. And so when you speak that, uh, it does so many things for your life. Now, I'm going to give you three other promises this morning. And what I want you to do is just write down the address. Now the address is I'm going to read Romans 817. And I want you just to write down Romans 817. I don't want you to try to write down the whole verse. If you have the U Version Bible app, you can just hit save and you'll have them. But I want you to write these down and I'm going to jump through these pretty quickly. Romans 817 and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs to God's glory. But if we are Uh, To share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Now, what I want you to see is that since we're God's children, we're heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Now, what that saying is, is that everything that's been given to Jesus has been given to you because you're joint heirs with Jesus. Right, And so the Bible says that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven after being crucified, raised from the dead. He's about to leave and he tells the disciples, I give you all authority. Right? Because we are joint heirs. Everything that's been given to him has been given to us. And so when you begin to confess this promise, you know, the promise of I believe that I'm the joint heir with Christ Jesus in all of God's glory, you begin to speak that over your life, that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to me. Right, and then we get to the bottom part, but if we're to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And this is where everybody gets tripped up. And everybody's like, well, God's going to punish me because, uh, you you know, I have to suffer with Jesus. Okay, I'm going to explain this to you very easily. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said that if you're a Christian, the earth is the only hell you will ever know. If you are a non-believer and you reject Jesus, this is the only heaven you will ever know. Okay, And so my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom, my mom was kind of a bad kid uh, growing up. She was pretty uh, defiant and rambunctious, I guess. Uh, And so my grandmother would always say that she would tell them when they were acting up, you know, I'm not going to hell, I'm in hell. And that's what she would tell her kids, you know, growing up. And and, and there's a lot of truth to that. As Christians, you know, we're not going to hell. This is the only hell we're ever going to know. And right, as you look across the room, as you look down the aisle, you know that everybody in this room has suffered. Everybody has suffered loss and pain and, and crying and, and all kinds of things in our lives. But this is the only suffering we're ever going to know. And as you live on this earth, we are suffering for Christ. Right? We're going out into the world, into this dark place, controlled by the enemy, in a sense, behind enemy lines, to spread the gospel, and that is our suffering. That does not mean that God is going to make you suffer or God's going to do something to you to make you suffer. You know, that's not God's heart. That's not what God's going to do. There's nowhere in the Bible where he says he's going to do that. Nowhere. Nowhere. And, and if you know a verse, come up to me after service because I'd love to hear it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God's going to punish you or hurt you or knock you down or kill you. Uh, he doesn't do that. And if it's in the Old Testament, that was before the blood of Jesus, right? It's called the Old Covenant for a reason. Uh, we're under the New Covenant. And so I want you to understand that you're joint heirs with Christ and God's not going to make you suffer. The next one is First Peter 2.24. It says he personally carried our sins on his body, uh, in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Now, there's two promises in 1 Peter 2.24. Number one, it's that you're dead to sin, that you're dead to sin. I'm going to tell you something that will set you free this morning right now as a Christian. You are never going to stop sinning, ever. As long as you are on this earth, you will sin. I'm gonna repeat it so you can let it soak in. You will never stop sinning. As a kid uh, in junior high and high school, I kind of thought that as a Christian, I need to get to this place where I don't struggle anymore. I don't struggle with certain sins. I don't struggle with anger or I don't struggle with lust or there's not things going on in my life that I struggle with. I should get to a place where that doesn't happen anymore. If I could do that, there would be no reason for Jesus to die because we could have just done it on our own. But you can't. Okay, you will sin till the day you leave this earth, but sin has no power over you, okay? And that's the promise. See, I I told the kids in Ground Zero one time, I said that temptation of sin will never leave, right? You're never going to get to a place like where you're not tempted anymore, where you don't, I just don't deal with that anymore like I used to right but it has no power over you god has given you the power to defeat it and overcome it but paul said the things i want to do i don't do the things i don't want to do i do he's talking about sinning paul said he was the chief of sinners i mean paul pretty much said if they put a club together of sinners that he'd be the president i mean this was paul he wrote most of the new testament Okay, and he's saying that, and so I want to encourage you that you're dead to sin, but that doesn't mean that, oh, well, somehow I shouldn't sin anymore because that's not going to happen. And then the second promise is that by uh, his wounds, you are healed. There's healing power in the blood of Jesus and that by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. Uh, Anytime you're sick, you just confess that, you know, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. Uh, and and you rely on those promises, and you begin to confess those promises and speak those promises. That like when you're struggling with sin, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm dead to sin. Right? Sin has no power over me. And I love that how that pastor said. In the midst of your sin, begin to confess that. Begin to speak that. Don't move into guilt and shame. Move into your identity and begin to confess that 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 this has no power over me. Ephesians two thirteen says. Uh, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Now, what I love so much about this verse is it talks about that before the blood of Jesus, we were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. In your most lonely, in your most darkest times, Jesus is right there with you because of the blood. Right? Right? God is right there with you. I heard one time that you can run from God, but the second you turn around, he's right there, right? He's right there behind you. You don't have to backtrack and try to go find God. He's right there waiting on you. And that because of the blood of Jesus, because of our salvation in him, God is near to us. And I don't want you to think, well, you don't know what I did last week. And so God's kind of distance himself. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, because of the blood of Jesus, God is close to you. And so these are promises that you can begin to confess, that you can begin to speak. Number one, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? Romans 8, 17, I'm a joint heir with Christ, right? I belong in that family. Everything that is God's belongs, you know, everything that has been given to Jesus is with me and belongs to me because I'm a joint heir with Christ. First Peter two I'm dead to sin and by Jesus' stripes I'm healed, Right and these are these are promises, and then ephesians two thirteen God, I thank you that you were close to me because of the blood of Jesus, and these are things that you can begin to confess and begin to speak, and as you read the Word of God, I believe that God will begin to reveal things to you and begin to show you like, hey, this is a promise, and you can write that down. You may have a verse already uh in mind or in your heart that you want to begin to speak, and I want to encourage you to begin to confess second corinthians uh, five twenty one that You're the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus. And begin to think about what you're saying. Begin to think about what's coming out of your mouth. Begin to uh, become aware of the things you speak about your family, about your spouse, about your children. And be careful that you're not speaking death and that you begin to speak life. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and I pray that as we go throughout our week, as we go throughout uh, our lives, Father God, that you would begin to bring to our awareness when we're speaking negativity, when we're speaking doubt, when we're speaking unbelief, when we're speaking death over any situation in our life, Holy Spirit, that you would kind of wake us up, and we would begin to say that we're not going to talk like that anymore. Father, I pray that as we read your word, that you would reveal to us your promises that you've given us that at the right time when we need those promises, that we would hear it or see it or it would be spoken over us. Father, and we would begin to confess those promises. I pray that we would confess that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Father, that that would sink deep into our hearts, deep into our identity, that we are righteous and right with you because of Jesus and nothing else, and that we would begin to walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen.